episodes and today we're going to be reviewing the 2021 season from an analytics and stats viewpoint and to do this I've got a special guest for me I've got Jeff from Fox Analytics FC um, if anyone hasn't been following uh, Jeff's brilliant Twitter account all season he's been putting up little stats and graphs and analytical images that have sort of broken down United's performances over the season it's been really interesting particularly in terms of the difference between pre- covid break and post covid break which we'll get onto later um but he's been really brilliant in doing that sort of thing and he's agreed to come on and talk about these things thanks for joining us jeff early yeah no problem thanks for having me on no problem at all um well, let's just get straight into it then i mean firstly i mean why did you start the back i mean it, it seems there's a lot of these sort of analytics blogs starting up for most lower league clubs now there always seems to be people who've got a real keen interest and are able to study the stats and sort of break them down for people it's always something you've been interested you've always been interested in analytics and that kind of thing yeah i mean like you say there's a there's a lot of them sort of popping up and i sort of thought it would be interesting to um you know look at carlisle and how you know how how they sort of stood out in these things and yeah it's always something i've been interested in and it was always something that was sort of like you know premier league and you know champions league sort of looking at all these stats and you know over the last couple of years the um level of detail you know, even down to like National League and stuff is, is incredible. So yeah, I just thought I'd, uh, you know, start one up for Carlisle and see see how it went. It does seem like there is so much data you can actually get now, doesn't it? Because I mean, like you said, this was always the sort of stuff you'd saw on Sky Sports for the Premier League, but at our level, I mean, I remember back when I was working for the media team at Carlisle, even before that, I was just helping out. On a couple of occasions, I had to stand in for the, the person doing the Press Association um, live sort of stats, you know, the ones you see on the BBC with all the yeah. details of what things happened. So I was filling in on a couple of those games and you were guesstimating things like possession. <laughs> Basically, every 10 or 15 minutes you had to say, how much possession do you think and who's been the better team over that period? And, you know, so it, it wasn't 100% foolproof to say the least, I think. So it's really interesting, isn't it? There seems to be quite a few sources you can get the information from now, doesn't there? Yeah, so like you say, like these days you can see like you know individual passes and like things like that. So it's like yeah, it is down. So someone's there like recording it, and like you say, I think uh, there's a load of these, and I, I imagine the club use a few of them as well. Like Jakey Blaine's obviously involved for the club, but um, yeah, I, I sort of use Y Scout, which is sort of a really widely available one now, and this has got you know a ton of data on there more than you can uh, <laughs> know what to do with to be honest yeah well, well let's get into it now then um we, we sort of split them to two sort of separate sections with a little bit in between talking about that four-week covid break but first up let's look at the uh the team data stuff so one of the first things you picked out was looking at the last two seasons performance trends so particularly the expected goals for and against now for anyone who doesn't know what expected goals is if you could sort of briefly explain exactly what that is yeah, so expected goals is, um, 
yeah, it's basically a way of um, sort of defining how, like the quality of a shot, basically, like how, how likely you are to score from that shot. And it's sort of calculated um, using just vast amounts of data, you know, the shots, where they were taken from, um, you know, was it like a, a shot that was assisted with like a cross or was it like a header, you know, just tons and tons of things are fed into this. And then it sort of spits out a number that gives you a percentage of how likely you are to um, score from that chance. So, yeah, people use these, you know, vast data sets over a season to sort of um, sort of say how well a team performs. So if you're sort of consistently creating better chances than you're letting the opposition have, then you'd expect to um, you know, do well, basically. It's one of those things, isn't it? I think it's on a game on a single game basis, it's not the great statistic to use, is it? But over a longer period, it, it, it's really good for actually looking at trends and how the teams are performing. Is I think that's yeah, it. spot on. Exactly, that's it. You you see a few things where people quote like you know game by game things, and they're quite interesting, but they don't really tell you much more than like the the scoreline a lot of the time. Um, so yeah, like this thing that I've picked out, I basically looked at the expected goals for and against since the. Um, 2019-2020 season obviously when Stephen Presley started um, his first full season and then all the way across to the end of this season and there's a few interesting things in there really so um, yeah when Stephen Presley took charge after the first 10 games so that's sort of like the window that is sort of typically used to sort of make an average so you've got a decent amount of data there Carlisle were conceding so much more than they were creating it was you know mm. roughly it was like 1.8 against and only one goal for so you know they were creating far almost conceding double the amount of chances and they were creating um and that trend sort of carried on through most of the season it was looking like things were getting a little bit better just before chris beach came in and then obviously chris beach sort of steadied the ship and sort of guided Carl to safety um but then it really got interesting you know after the first 10 games of this season because basically things just flipped around pretty much. You could see Carlisle just mm. were creating so much more. They were, they were creating 1.8 and, and conceding less than one. So it, it literally flipped, you know, after, um, yeah, 10, 10 games roughly and things just carried on really good until Christmas then. Um, so, yeah, I think you can sort of say the, the rebuild that went on over, um, you know, over last summer and, you know, Chris Beach coming in and stamping his own style and things was <laughs> was going really well. And, um, you know, I think he needs a lot of credit for that. Um, yeah. I think those first 10 games as well this season, Lisa, when you look at it, that was effectively a pre-season, wasn't it? Because the the club didn't really get a, a proper pre-season with all the, the issues with COVID and that kind of thing. So you, you could almost take it as that, couldn't you, I suppose? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, um, like I said, Stephen Presley was sort of um, think I wouldn't say things were turning around necessarily, but um, I think some of the results maybe were a little bit harsh on Carlisle in a few of those games, and they were sort of turning the tide a little. But obviously, since Chris Beach has come in, um, you know, I think he's really, really made a positive impact in terms of performances, at least. Yep. Next up on the things you put on, you put a number of shots for and against in the league rankings because this is something I think that's been picked out by a few of the sort of League 2 Twitter accounts uh, for different podcasts and things like that is we, we perform pretty well in this don't we? Yeah so th- this is a really interesting one and I know um, Chris Beach talks about this a lot as well he talks about you know 
um, number of shots that Carlisle created and things, and it's it's really astonishing just how far ahead Carlisle are in you know compared to any of the team in the league this season. So they've, according to Y Scout, they've taken 640 shots, um, you know, across the whole season. The next nearest is Mansfield with 563. So that goes wow. to show you, you know, they're almost you know getting on for um, 100 shots more than the next team and. Um, at the bottom is Scunthorpe with 363. So you can sort of see they've taken, you know, almost 300 shots more than Scunthorpe. That's, that's incredible, isn't it? When it, it does, doesn't really come as much of a surprise having seen Scunthorpe play this season. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, and on the other side of things as well, when you look at the um, shots conceded, again, Carlisle come top, well, you know, <laughs> bottom if you will, but they've, they've conceded the least shots basically with only 350 and whereas Oldham conceded the most at 618, so they're really, you know, head and shoulders above all the other teams. And if you just look at shots for and against, Cheltenham conceded the second um, fewer shots with 395, so they're, you know, comfortably a shot a game less conceded than Cheltenham. Um, so, yeah, and obviously Chris Beach has talked about this a lot. I, I remember the um, first game of the season, that 3-0 against Cambridge, um, he sort of said, you know, he wasn't too disappointed with the result and... If you look at the, just the stats, if you just look at like the, the raw stats, you know possession and shots and things like Carlisle did outshoot Cambridge by quite a lot. But this is where the expected goals comes in. If you if you look at the quality of chances, maybe Cambridge only had three shots on target, and you know maybe they were lucky to get three goals. But you know they were they were decent chances, whereas Carlisle were taking a lot of shots from distance um, and things like that. Um, so yeah, that's that's where the sort of shots, um, yeah, sort of isn't always a brilliant measure, just looking at the pure numbers. Yeah, well, I don't think anyone could have anticipated how well Cambridge would have done this season, to be fair. I mean, Gil yeah. that game was a very bit of a shock result, that one. And yeah, I suppose that sort of highlights the issue, maybe, that Beach is going to face over the summer of trying to recruit a striker who's actually going to take those chances a bit more regularly than the, the players who play up front this season yeah. did at the moment. So, I mean, does that bring us on quite nicely to the shock quality in terms of league rankings, I suppose, which is the next bit you picked out? Yeah, so so obviously we've we've touched on expected goals a little bit. We've touched on like the number of shots conceded and the number of shots taken. So if we sort of combine those things together, so you can sort of say Carlisle, you know, took the most shots in the in the in the division. Um, but then when you look at the average quality of those shots, they came out a joint second bottom with um, Colchester and Southend. <laughs> so only only Southend and Colchester were taking worse quality shots on average than Carlisle. And obviously, it's not a great company, you know, that, is it? <laughs> yeah. So that that sort of shows maybe where you know over the whole course of the season where Carlisle fell short. Yeah, they were taking a lot of shots, but a lot of these shots, you know, just from watching, you know, they ended up being shots from you know really far out and things like that. Um, and again, if you sort of flip that and look at the shots conceded. Like I said, the the right, you know, down there, you know, really few shots faced. But apart from um, Harrogate and Grimsby, they conceded the best quality chances on average, you know, against all the other teams. So it's like, you know, we talk about quality over quantity. It's sort of like the opposite with, you know, Carlisle. Yeah, they're conceding very few shots, but the shots they do concede are, you know, good chances for the opposition. And again, the shots they take, yeah, they take a lot of them, but they sort of come out as, you know, pot shots a lot, a lot of the time. Yeah, I suppose one of those ones in it where they, like I said there before, you can maybe look to tighten up front, but maybe in defence as well. He means to, it's basically adding that extra little bit of quality just to stop the, the high quality chances coming in and the other end, someone to, to take them away. Yeah, I think I think it's been a real mix of um, 
of, of like why this has happened. Like towards the end of the season, you know, we saw like a few individual mistakes, didn't we, at the back where, mm. you know, someone plays a back pass or someone doesn't quite, you know, let a, you know make a good enough clearance or a tackle, and someone's someone straight in and those sort of things. And there's not a lot you can do there, like you say, maybe look to strengthen a bit. But those sort of one-off errors, it's sort of happens from time to time. But the other thing is. Um, you know, maybe like with the pressing as well, like if, if that's not well coordinated and if they're pushing up too high and they don't commit enough people forward, then quite often a quick ball over the top can let, let you in one-on-one. On, one yeah. on one. And that, I think that's happened a few times as well. So, yeah, I think it's sort of been a, been a bit of a mixed bag there, really. Yeah. Um, next up, you've got what situations are shots taken from and conceded from? Yeah, so <clears throat> towards the end of the season as well, I saw a lot of stuff um online and uh, you know i noticed it as well i think probably everyone noticed it just how much carlisle were relying on set pieces mm-hmm. um you know they, they were there was a lot of like nil nils and things and then you know that sort of run where they sort of appeared to be sort of um getting back to it a bit in terms of results where you know a lot of them were just coming from free kicks you know in into the box or corners um so yeah sort of if you look at the chances created from set pieces um they were only behind Cheltenham in that, so yeah. Like, in, if you look at all of the um, all the other teams in the division, only Cheltenham created more from set pieces than Carlisle did. So that you know, you can look at that as a criticism or a strength, I suppose. Um, yeah. You know, you, you don't want to be over reliant on set pieces, but you know, at the same time, you you know, with Callum Guy's delivery, it's always always good to have someone in the in the mm-hmm. box that can take advantage of that. Cheltenham are champions, so you can, they can't really come yeah. too much on that, can you? So exactly, yeah. and um, yeah, also. If you look at the um, chances conceded as well from set pieces, um, Carlisle were sort of like average in that in that department. So they, you know, not really outstanding or not really very poor. They were just sort of middle of the road. So conceded a few from set pieces, but probably not um, something to be worried about. But the one that really stands out is how many chances they conceded from penalties. Obviously, when I say mm-hmm. a chance conceded from a penalty, I just mean a penalty. Um, but yeah, if you look at the XG for a penalty, it's typically like like 76 percent so about three quarters of the time you're going to concede a goal from that and um for most of the season Carlisle was sort of um yeah sort of um ranked worst for like the number of penalties they conceded so that's Mm. maybe a bit of a worry um and I think we went through a bit of a period in new year where there was a lot of you know like needless challenges going in the box and uh, you know it really turned turned a few games around and a couple that were maybe a bit unlucky as well but yeah, it did seem for a time after uh, after New Year that it was just penalties that kept um, kept causing us problems. Yeah, that seems to be where we had quite a big issue in the second half of the season. I think I'd agree with you there. And the, when you think about the players looking a bit tired, which I suppose does will bring us nicely on in a minute, actually, to the uh, the bit of the COVID break. But for, next, first up, we've got um, minutes played by players. You got this one in because. Um, a few of the players played quite a bit, didn't they? Considering as well with the issues with COVID and stuff. Yeah, like um, really big shout out to um, Aaron Hayden and Callum Guy. Like over the course of the whole season, um, Callum Guy played ninety four percent of the available minutes, and Aaron Hayden played ninety two. And if you consider Paul Farman did ninety three, you know, if you consider the first choice goalkeeper, Callum mm-hmm. Guy played more minutes than him. It sort of it says a lot. Just with all the fixture congestion and everything else that has, you know, gone on during the break and COVID, it's just, it's pretty incredible. Um, and it also shows a bit as well, if you look at the other, um, the sort of numbers for the other players as well, maybe just how much Chris Beach is relying on like a core of players. Um, mm. 
So yeah, like I, I talked about Guy Farman and Hayden, they were the only players who played more than 90% of the minutes. And then you're sort of looking at John Mellish, who did 87, who's pretty close, Luis Alessandro, 81. And um, then Tanner and Riley and Anderton, um, sort of in the 70s. So that, that was sort of like the main core. And then obviously we got, um, you know, Reese Bennett coming in, he played 50. And then... Um, got Toure and Patrick hovering around the 50 mark. They sort of swapped quite a bit, didn't they? If one wasn't playing, yeah. maybe the other was, or vice versa. Um, and obviously Jack Armour came in and made a really big impact, and he played just under 50% overall. So, yeah, it was um, just to point out, really, just you know a big achievement and how much we sort of relied on Guy and Hayden sort of as the sort of spine of the team, almost. Um, mm. And I, we would probably would have been in a lot of trouble without, without those two, um, definitely. I think it's fair to say, yeah. Um, okay, well, I think you, you sort of covered the penalties bit, haven't you? I think, or, or in fact, yeah. I think you haven't really got, compared to the rest of the division, how did we sort of sit in terms of that? Yeah, so it, it was a bit funny, this really. Watching this through, throughout the whole season, it was looking pretty dire. Um, I think before the Leighton Orient game, you know, the second to last game of the season, mm-hmm. um, Carlisle had only been awarded two penalties. Um, and then obviously they got awarded two in that game, which jumped them up to fourth. So fourth, uh, sorry, four penalties. So that isn't actually too bad. There was only um, five teams that had um, fewer penalties than that, but they were sort of rock bottom um, with only two games yeah. left of how many penalties they'd actually created. And um, I think out of the out of those four, I think um, Zanzala had created two of those. You know, he'd sort of got into good positions in the box and been fouled. So. Like that was something I was going to highlight a bit later as well, just how much um, of an impact he had made, and it was it was sort of something that was a bit lacking. Like I saw a stat earlier in the season, just saying like Carlisle was sort of ranked second for the number of touches in the opposition box, but they were ranked like bottom for the number of penalties. And you sort of think, is there something going on there? Is it just a bit of bad luck, or is it that they're not like controlled touches in the box? But um, yeah, it was just maybe, or maybe it's just like a bit of. you know, there's a bit of a skill, isn't there? In I wouldn't say winning a penalty, but sort of, you know, playing in such a way that you, you know you're you're gonna sort of get into those situations where the defenders mm-hmm. feel like they need to make a tackle. Um, and yeah, on the other side as well, the penalties against. At one point, Carlisle were sort of conceded the most penalties and won the least, but they sort of clawed a bit of that back. In the end, they finished sort of with only four teams above them and four teams below them in the number of um, penalties created and conceded. So yeah, it's. It'll be interesting to see next season. Is it like, uh, is it just the way they play, like being quite aggressive, like defensively, and maybe you know not looking for it that much on the other half, or is it just a bit of bad luck and it'll it'll even out? Yeah. Okay. Well, before we go to the sort of player day side of it, let's have a, a quick look at the uh, the four weeks sort of break that occurred due to the COVID games being called. I say four weeks. Actually, in the end, it was more like six, wasn't it? Really, with about two, three games in the middle of it as well. Yeah. Well, I think everyone could see clearly it had an impact on the team, but, but in terms of stats and analytics, is there anything that clearly shows that that had an impact? Yeah, so just, just looking straight at the, obviously, like results, um, you know, we obviously saw they fell off a cliff, really. They were, before that break, they were looking at 1.86 points per game, and after it went to 1.08, so, you know, <laughs> they yeah. lost a massive amount there. And, you know, if, if they carried on with 1.86 for the whole season, they would have you know, win the division, I'd say. Um, but yeah, if you look at um, what changed, now we haven't talked about pressing yet, but there's a stat that tries to measure that called passes per defensive action. And that basically um, looks, if you look in the opposition, well, it's, it's like the 
opposition um, half and 10% of your own half, so it's sort of like the top 60% of the pitch. They look at um, how many passes the opposition make before the other team will, you know, try and make a tackle or they make a foul or they, you know, pressurise the opposition, basically. So it's sort of a a metric that sort of shows just quite how intense the the press is. And Carlisle um, had the most intense press in the division, if you look at that stat, you know, throughout the season. And... It was one of those things where you looked and you thought maybe maybe they will be tired, but if you look at the stats before and after the break, they were pretty close. So they mm. had um, an average of 7.4 passes per defensive action before the break, and then it only went up to 7.6. Now the lowest, the lower number is obviously the better because it's like how many passes can the opposition have? You know, can they sort yeah. of build up patiently or can you sort of press them a bit? So that didn't really change that much. Now, obviously, game to game, may- maybe that was the case, but certainly by the end of the season, they were back to, you know, back back to the best in that sort of um, that department. I also looked at the interceptions. So, um, obviously, a big part of Carlisle's tactics are getting the ball forward quickly and then either competing for that first high ball or sort of picking up the ball after like interceptions and um, you know winning the second balls um, and. Before the break, they were making an average of 49 interceptions, and after it only went down to 48, so a very small mm. difference again there. So, like, it wasn't necessarily down to them pressing less intensely or like winning the ball back less. Um, another thing is the pass accuracy. Now, I, I seem to remember in that period of you know where we couldn't sort of buy a win, it was getting um, people were getting annoyed at the tactics then about like the long balls and things, um, mm. and that did actually change quite a bit. So that went from um, roughly 55 like long passes a game to 59. So if you look like as a percentage, that's obviously increased by, you know, um, almost 20% there. Um, mm-hmm. And that was, if you cut a long pass as a, a, a high, you know, like a high ball or um, one that's longer than 45 metres on the ground, then that was definitely something that changed. So, you know, was that a, like a tactical thing or was it just, you know, Chris Beach talked about playing the... Um, Playing the conditions as well at some some points, so that, that that's the only thing really that sort of stands out is like the passing, like went a bit longer, maybe won the ball a little bit less, and then from there, like you just obviously create a lot less playing the way that Carlisle Carlisle sort of play. But again, looking at the expected goals um, before and after the that sort of break, um, yeah, things just changed massively from that point. Like if you look on my blog or on Twitter, I've put a graph of like the whole seat whole like two yeah. seasons rolling for and against and you can just see I've marked on the graph where that sort of last game was before the break the sort of chances created and chances conceded just gradually go towards each other and then flip back around to where they were you know yeah. uh, throughout the season so it's like you know there's definitely something in it there um they're definitely performing really well and then that did have a big impact and you know i know you've talked about it at length already so i don't need to go into necessarily why but it's it de- definitely definitely affected things yeah, it's interesting isn't it there's a handful of the stats that obviously show that something happened but it's hard to actually sort of pin down exactly what it was which i suppose maybe suggests it's one of those sort of not fitness is probably not the wrong word but maybe almost Mental fitness, being the exhaustion of 12 weeks in a row of Saturday, Tuesdays, can't really have helped those players, could it, I'd imagine? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, I was I was sort of frantically looking through all the all the stats I get my hands on just for just for something that would explain it. But there was nothing like like you say, there was like no one thing that sort of jumped out. Is you know this is the main thing. Like you say, just really exceptional circumstances, isn't it? And must be so tiring for the for the players. 
Right. Well, we'll, we'll take a little quick break now, Jeff, and uh, we'll be back in just a second where we'll go through some of the player data you've got together for this season. So we'll be back in just a second. Okay, we're back for part two of this special episode of the Brunty Bugle, focusing on the analytical side of the 2021 season. And we've got Fox Analytics FC's Jeff here with us to go through some of the stats. And we're going to look at some of the player data now. And the, the first one up is uh, the man who, it's fair to say, had a season that I don't think anyone expected to come from, especially in terms of the stat that you're going to look at. It's John Mellish. And we're going to look at John Mellish's goals, aren't we? Yeah, so... Like like you say, um, we sort of talked about maybe um, not having that sort of out and out goal scorer. And I know it's been you know talked about a lot. And um, yeah, John Mellish, his sort of his goal return's been really really good this season. Um, he's scored eleven goals in the league. And if you look at the sort of position goals and the type of goals he scored and how he scored them, he's been sort of a really versatile um, goal scorer. So. All the chances that he got in the league totaled up to just over seven expected goals, and like I said, he got eleven there. So he's finishing that. You know, that's yeah. really, really <laughs> outstanding finishing. And you know, he scored goals from you know really tight angles. He scored goals from the edge of the box. He scored headers. So yeah, just just really, really impressive. And it, it'll be interesting to see um, <laughs> you know if he can replicate that next season. Obviously, he, he continues to get into those good positions, but that sort of level of finishing is just just superb so it'd be interesting to see again if he um comes up with a similar return next season it's interesting because that's that's the main focus for him isn't it Cause I suppose if, if you'd picked out some of his other stats they're probably not going to be particularly impressive especially when you put them alongside Callum Guy and Joe Riley and people like that but his contribution can't really be doubted can it in terms of his goals and like you say the stats there show that he's actually outperformed his expected goals which is a real feather in his cap yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to the next one. We talk about all the goals, but the one who set up all well, most of the goals for people this season, Callum Guy and his assists. Um, again, astonishing how well he's done with this. Because, I mean, I'd imagine a lot of folks could remember the fact that a lot of his goals came from, well, sorry, assists came from set pieces. At the start of the season, I don't think he was taking corners. I think Joe Riley took some in the early cup games, possibly. But he seemed to settle down as a set piece taker. And as a result, he ends up with an incredible amount of assists. Yeah, like you say, I think most of them, um, <clears throat> I'm struggling to think of many that weren't from set pieces, to be honest. There was that sort of ball into the box after the corner, wasn't there, for um, mm-hmm. one of John Mellish's goals. Um, but yeah, like from corners, it's been been really, really good. Um, I think there's so 14 assists in total. I think eight of those are from corners. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's really, really impressive. Um, and he also... Um, you know the free kicks as well, especially from that area, sort of um, to you know at an angle just outside the box. Well, quite mm-hmm. quite far outside the box, you know, sort of between yeah. um, the box and the halfway line, just sort of floating those balls in for someone like Hayden. Usually gets on the end of them. Um, just really, really impressive. And obviously, he topped the um, whole division in assists. So that's obviously goes <laughs> shows just just how good he is. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are focused on the fact that a lot of them came from set pieces, but then. You generally find the person who's top on assists 
probably does take a lot of set pieces. It's just the way yeah. it's going to be, isn't it? So there you go. Uh, next up, Aaron Hayden. You got down interceptions for him. Yeah, so like we talk a lot about Callum Guy's sort of winning the ball back and you know, especially quite high up the pitch and like winning those second balls and things. But um, Aaron Hayden as well. He, I think, he ranked tenth at the end by the end of the season in how many interceptions he had throughout you know all the plays in the division, which sort of says a lot. And you watched him play. He's sort of one of those players, isn't he? He was, he was just quite good at anticipating things, and he's mm. you know just if you if you look at actually where he made those interceptions, there's a lot sort of like outside the box as well so it's you know he's it's just one of those areas I don't think that he get, gets a lot of credit for but he's a really intelligent player and um, just yeah to be ranked 10th from centre-back in interceptions you know it's um, re- really really impressive let's say a stat like that you'd expect the midfield one to be sort of a Callum Guy style player midfield player who's nipping and nipping the box I know George Tanner rate was quite high wasn't he I think for interceptions at the opposition half yeah, as a fullback, yeah. which is a really impressive stat as well. But for a centre back, like you say, to be so high because it's not really interceptions you anticipate with them, is it? It's more tackling and that kind of thing. So yeah, quite yeah. impressive. Yeah. Uh, up next, uh, Lewis. Sorry, I always get this one wrong. Lewis Alessandra and key passes. <laughs> yeah. So um, a key pass. That's like that's another sort of new thing that's come in as well. It's um, essentially it's like an assist that wasn't scored basically so like a pass that yeah. creates a clear goal scoring opportunity again it's a little bit um you know it's down to a little bit of interpretation and a little bit of someone deciding if it was you know a good chance or not but yeah um he's ranked ninth in the whole division in key passes so you know we know this from watching him really don't we just how good he is at sort of feeding the ball in you know from like maybe outside the box into the box pick picking those good passes and unlocking defenses but yeah, I think he, he was a bit unlucky not to come away with, you know, a few more assists himself, really. And I think it's another one of those um, things that maybe he's, he's a little bit underrated for, just just how good he is at sort of creating those chances. Um, I think there's there's a stat that a lot of people quote now called expected assists, which is basically it totals up the expected goals that are created from the passes a player makes. So that, mm-hmm. that sort of shows how good someone is at, um, you know, creating chances. And he was he was basically ranked second, only behind Callum Guy in in that this season for Carlisle. So he was mm-hmm. one of the main creative players. Um, and I think if if more of them chances had gone in, he, you know, people would have been singing his praises a lot more for it. Well, I think it's fair to say on our pod, we've always sung his praises quite strongly. We've always said if he plays well, we play well generally. And I think that those stats probably show that you know if he'd been playing well a bit, a little bit more often. I don't say he played badly particularly, but. Played yeah. a little bit better more often. We, we, you know, he might have made that extra bit of difference, I suppose, to push us over the line. Uh, next yeah. up, our key loan player, Josh Coyote. Um, you focused here on aerial duels and fouls suffered because it's fair to say he probably didn't have the goal impact we expected Coyote after coming back on loan. But then again, he played out wide a lot. And he, when we were playing long balls, he was very much a target, wasn't he? And, and he was very good at winning those aerial duels. So, yeah, so Coyote, obviously. I've been a really, really big fan of his this season, um, and with um, you know the way Carlisle play as well, sort of getting that ball forward, you know, quite quickly and early. There's always going to be a, a lot of pressure on you know the forward players to compete for those balls. Um, and Coyote has competed for the third most aerial balls across the whole division. Now that's pretty incredible as well, considering he you know he was out on international duty and injured for a little bit as well. Just goes to show how um, you know just how involved he was in that. 
Um, just and, before you go further, Jeff, aerial duels, is that just attackers going for the ball? Is that including defenders as well? Yeah, that, that's that's everyone. So that's oh, attackers, wow. defenders. So yeah, that, that really goes to show mm-hmm. like there was a couple of um, yeah, centre-backs, I think, that were above him. But yeah, it's really, really um, just goes to show how much he sort of we were we were relying on him just uh, you know especially the tactics that were were playing as well. Yeah, and obviously as you mentioned, there he, he suffered a fair few fouls. I think it's fair to say in the process of going for those aerial duels. Yeah, so it was there was um, the sort of aerial duels like we've just talked about. You know, there was a few of those where you would sort of get you know a barge in the back or something like that. But then it was there was also the um, sort of the. Um, you know, taking the pressure off as well. Like, you know, you're, you're trying to run the clock down or you're trying to find a bit of an outlet. Um, and, he, you know, he came really highly in there as well. I think he came 13th throughout the whole division for mm-hmm. fouls suffered, which again goes to show, you know, what a, what a big part he played there as well. Well, he's not really... Sort of, I know he played out on the wing a lot for us, but he's not like a, a tricky winger like a Toure or a Patrick, as you, you expect he's going to be tripped up a lot. He, it shows he's, he's more like a... I suppose in a sense he's more like a Joe Garner style forward, isn't he? And one who's going to get a bit battered in terms of pushing shoves and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think that was an yeah just uh, an area that I sort of thought was was quite important, and you know that he, he played really well in. Well, next up, you've got um, a man who I imagine is going to have a big part to play next season, considering obviously not to give away when we're recording this, but Nick Anderson's left the club today, so. Jack Armour and his crosses. I imagine he's going to play a big part as probably first choice left back next season. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Armour, his his crosses were, and you know, he's just passes in general is something that really, really stands out. But he 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 ranked ninth across the whole division for um, cross accuracy. So obviously that's you know balls from out wide into the box, and that was forty two percent. So. Yeah, if you look at the other players above him, like you know, he really, really stands out in that area. And um, yeah, I'm hoping <laughs> you know that will continue next season. And you know, with a few of the players that we've got, and maybe some that come in as well to, to attack those, it could be another uh, you know another a weapon in the uh, you know in the forward line. Is it generally sort of wingers that are ahead of him in terms of the accuracy of the crosses, or is it? Fullbacks as well up there. He yeah, the, the, there's a bit of a mix there, but yeah, like like obviously he, he only really started sort of consistently, didn't he? Sort of the second half of the season, and you know he's young as well, so you, you just think that's one of those um, things that's only going to improve. Hopefully, um, and if you sort of I've mapped them out as well, and if you look at where where they all ended up, there's like a, a sort of a sweet spot between the penalty spot and the six yard box, you know, sort of that area where the goalkeeper's not going to come, but, you know, you're still close enough to the goal to, to get a good shot. And it, just the amount of accurate sort of balls he's getting into that area on people's heads is, uh, yeah, really, really uh, impressive. I think it stood out as well when he played at right back as well, didn't he? Because he, although he obviously had to cut back onto his left a lot, his ability to then pick out a player with a ball from the right was, was really impressive as well when he switched to that side. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, from yeah, both both sides. The, the map I've got of him sort of crossing in, like you say, the, those games or the sort of short period of time he spent out on the right. That that shows as well. Like yeah, just launching them in from uh, from all sides. Yeah. Uh, next up, obviously, we, we mentioned the fact that before about um, him winning penalties, but the um, the impact that Zanzal had, especially after his let's say slow start, I think in the first four or five games, um, he made a really big impact in at the end of the season. Yeah. So. Um, <clears throat> yeah, he's 
I think if you don't count penalties because they can sort of skew the expected goals a bit, mm-hmm. he had um, just over seven expected goals. Um, you know, considering he probably didn't play his first game till well, you know, I don't know when his first start was. It was probably February sometime. I think he wasn't played it, against but... Exeter in one game, and then he was on the bench, wasn't he, for the next four or five? I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, considering you know the limited minutes played. Um, He's, you know, he had just over seven, so 7.25 expected goals in that time, and that actually ranked him seventh in the whole division for expected goals per 90. So that sort of unskews players that maybe didn't play quite as much as other people. So, yeah, I think that just goes to show, um, you know, just how good he is at getting into those positions and making a nuisance of himself in the box. Um, and, yeah, he, like he doesn't take a lot of shots from outside the box. He's not that sort of player, which, you know, Carl, have quite a few of those, you know, the you know, the sort of front three that they were typically going with for most part of the season. There was, you know, a fair amount of shots from outside the box. Like I know Alessandra scored yeah, a beauty from outside the box, but mm. more often than not, those sort of shots aren't, you know, going to trouble the goalkeeper too much. But Zanzal is sort of a completely different player to um, any of Carlisle's other forwards. He, he really, you know, gets a good number of shots from, you know, inside the six-yard box, headers, all sorts. And um, yeah, I really feel like he was a good addition and just add, add something different and I know you know there's a bit of criticism wasn't the same like we, there wasn't that sort of player in the team but I think he, he's absolutely that and like you said mm. the penalties as well that's just another someone that can hold the ball up in the box and cause defenders problems and you know stretch defenders I think is uh, yeah really good Last up sort of, Jeff and on the list of things we, we mentioned here we could potentially talk about you know the players who are sort of leaving and you know what we maybe need to do to to bring in to sort of replace them in anything you've got for that yeah so obviously um when we're recording this like who do we know who's um not, not going to be in next mm-hmm. season obviously we've sort of touched on coyote a bit um so he's he's not going to be here but um i do sort of wonder how much zanzala can sort of um help in in terms of that you know making a nuisance of himself holding the ball up like we've seen some good evidence that he can do that well and he can take the ball take the ball you know long balls forward to him i wonder you know if he'll you know have quite as much of an impact you know competing for aerial balls as cody does but i'd be interested to see if if beach does look to go down that route and maybe pick someone who can sort of make a nuisance of themselves on those high balls a little bit more um Dean Furman as well, obviously. He didn't play that many minutes um, at all. Um, he sort of, I think he played 16% of the available minutes, but he's one of those experienced heads. You know, there's not many. I think there was three players over 30 that played more than 90 minutes last season. So that's Alessandra, Furman and Farman. Yeah. Um, with him gone, um, that's only, you know, Farman and Alessandra who were, who were over 30. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, people did talk about his impact in the dressing room, didn't they, Furman, and how, yeah. you know, it was good to have that experienced head in there. So it'd be interesting to see if there's, you know, any anything in that area as well, um, and you know, any other players that could potentially drop in there for um, Callum Guy as well. And possibly a couple of defensive recruitments I think probably needed with obviously Anderton leaving and Bennett sort of touch and go whether he's going to stay. I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's look, looking at the squad that's left. Yeah, I think that's that's the other area that you'd look at, isn't it? Yeah, you sort of think. You've got McDonald and Hayden, who are your sort of natural centre-backs. If Bennett, you know, is, I guess, a little bit... Um, no one really knows at the moment, but um, there's a good chance he'll go, maybe. So it's that's definitely an area they need to uh, um, recruit in. And someone we haven't really touched on as well is um, Toure. Um, yeah. Now, there was a talk, wasn't there, would he stay or would he go? And 
to be honest, I'm, I'm quite glad that we've um, decided to keep him mm. because if you combine the um, expected goals and expected assists over the whole season and put that down per 90 because Thierry only played 42% of the minutes, he, he just comes out like way way on top in terms of how many oh. sort of shots he was um, you know, involved in. Like can, he, he leads all the players over the 90 minutes in terms of how many, um, you know, the quality of shots that he took. And he's he provided a decent amount of um, assists as well. So yeah, I'm I'm sort of I think it is just that finishing that let him down this season. Like you know, I think we all remember him missing a, a couple of sitters and things like that. But I I sort of think if that's an area he could improve on just a, just a little bit, I think, and he gets gets the minutes as well. I think it'll be um, you know really interesting to watch next season and it'll be interesting to see if it if it pans out for him. I wonder how high uh, on the expected goals that open goal he missed from what was it fifty five yards something like that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Bless him, he had, a, he had a go for that one, didn't he? I think we sort of said on the pod, didn't we? I think he strikes me as a confidence player, and with fans actually there, he's the sort of player that fans just love down there because he's got all the tricks and he's got all the little flicks, and he'll he'll get he'll get the crowd going. I'm sure he'll drive them mad plenty of the time, but at the same time, I think <laughs> he's the kind of player who'll he'll thrive on having crowds back, and hopefully he can excel as well. Um, I think that's everything, Jeff. Unless, unless there's anything else you, you wanted to add in there. No, no, I don't think 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 we've covered everything I had. Yeah, thanks. Yep. Well, that's, that's brilliant. Um, what we'll do is we'll give everyone a shout out to obviously get you to go and have a look at the, the blog. You can all uh, check out Jeff's stuff. I'm sure there'll be a few of the bits he's uh, talked about today you'll be able to find on there. Um, we'll probably catch up with you some point next season, won't we, as well, to, to go through stuff and see how we're getting. And hopefully this time we'll be... a uh, talking about us being clear in the league and not having to worry about games being called off and uh, the season collapsing again <laughs> with any luck that <laughs> yeah. open. Jeff, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. And, uh, and all the best. Yeah, cheers, Lee. Thanks very much. No problem.